the Christmas story is like the Iron Man suit. It's like the Iron Man suit, okay? And so uh, 10 years ago, this movie came out called Iron Man, which started this wave of superhero movies. And uh, the opening of the movie goes like this. Um, Tony Stark, the main character, is this scientist, and he gets kidnapped by some bad guys, and they hold him hostage, and they try and get him to build them a missile because he's a brilliant scientist. Uh, and so they've got him in this, this kind of lab where they've got him working, and he's working away at all these mechanical parts and stuff, and he's got all these blueprints lying around. And they think he's building them a missile, but secretly he's building this suit of armor that would become the Iron Man suit. Um, and so there's, there's this one key moment where he takes his blueprints, and these, these blueprints kind of look like nothing, okay? They're just all these random scattered pieces of machinery on the blueprints, but it's thin paper, and he overlays the two of them Okay, and together they make this picture. He holds them up to a light and they make this picture. And it's a picture of the, the Iron Man suit. It's the picture of this suit of armor. And eventually he builds the suit of armor and defeats the bad guys. And the rest is history. The Christmas story is like the Iron Man suit. Or it's like the blueprints for the Iron Man suit. Okay, it's like that because it's... It's this sort of composite thing that we've created by overlaying two different stories. Okay, you, uh, you can kind of outline the Christmas story, and, you know, the way we kind of tell it looks basically um, like this, if I were to just sort of sketch it briefly. These are the major scenes, okay? So the angel visits Mary. She says, Mary, he says, Mary, you're, you're going to become pregnant, right? Uh, Another angel visits Joseph and says, Joseph, don't break off the engagement. Go ahead and marry her. Uh, no room in the inn. Right? They go to Bethlehem, the, and that, that whole thing happens. There's no room in the inn. They, and so they go sleep in a stable. Jesus is born. They lay him in a manger. Um, the shepherd and the angels, the angels say, there's this newborn Savior. Come and see him. The shepherds go and worship him. Uh, and then we get... Herod and the Magi, which we just read, the, the wise men come, these, these visitors from the east. They saw a star, which they followed, and they come and say, Herod, where, where is this new... They, they come to Judea, and, and they come to the palace, and they say, where's the newborn king? And Herod's like, king, what king? And they figure out, okay, it's probably in Bethlehem. So he sends them to Bethlehem. Go there and let me know when you find him so that I can come and worship him. And of course, Herod's lying. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to eliminate him. So the, the magi, the wise men, go. They're warned in a dream, actually. They find Jesus. They worship him. They give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They are warned in a dream to go another way to avoid Herod. And so they go home another way. Joseph is warned, warned in a dream. And he, and he escapes with the family to Egypt. And they live in Egypt for some time. Uh, and then Herod dies, and they're able, to return to, um, they're able to return home to safety in Nazareth. That's a way that you could sort of outline the Christmas story. Um, but the reality is, oh, man. The reality is I don't have slides. This is awesome. 
Can you go back one, Austin? Can you do that? No, be... <laughs> because I said so? Okay, so there's a, yeah, this is the slide. There you go. Thank you, Austin. I'm sorry. Yeah? Good? Okay. So we have this new uh, presentation software, and it's going great. And, uh, okay. And it's not syncing here. So, Austin, you're running slides. Deal? And I'll just say next slide or something. Oh, this is going to be fun. That power outage this week killed everything around here. Uh, so, I'm going to pull it up here on my Google Doc. Okay. So often we tell the Christmas story like I just outlined it, but the reality is if you actually go in, in the Bible and read the stories in the Gospels, it, it actually looks more like this. You've got this, this set of events that Matthew reports in his Gospel and this other set of events that Luke reports in his Gospel, and there's actually very little overlap. Like there's this core story... Mary and Joseph were engaged. Mary became miraculously pregnant and gave birth to Jesus. There's that core story. But all this other stuff that's built around that core story, there's almost no overlap uh, between, between the two stories. And the story that we tell is actually kind of a composite. It's a blending of two stories, which leads to an interesting question. Why? <laughs> Why did Matthew include this particular set of events and Luke include this particular events with very, very little overlap between the two? Why did they include such different sets of events as they told the Christmas story? Hold that thought. We're continuing our Advent series, Miracle Child, uh, and we've been looking at this pattern of miraculous children in, in the Bible. Okay, uh, leading up to the greatest miracle child, Jesus himself. And so we'll look at that story, of course, tomorrow. We hope you'll join us at 3 or 5 p.m. and that you'll bring every human being that you know in the world. And so we've been looking at these different miraculous children in the Bible, and today we're looking at Moses. Moses, whose story is early in the Bible. It's It's in the book of Exodus, early on in your Bible. And his story is part of the Christmas story. And so we're going to talk about that a bit today. Let me recap the story of Moses for you. Um, and and uh, we're, you can find it in Exodus. We're not going to read it. I'll just recap it quickly. And, and Austin will just will build these points in one by one. Um, so the story goes like this. The Israelites lived in Egypt. And the king of Egypt... The Pharaoh feared them because they had grown from a family to a tribe to now a nation living within his borders. And Pharaoh said, these guys might rise up and, and uh, overtake my, my people. And so because he was so fearful of their power, he enslaved them. He forced them into uh, slavery. Now they continued 
to multiply. They continue to multiply and, and have more kids, and so eventually, uh, to curb their uh, to curb their expansion, Pharaoh ordered that all Israelite babies be baby boys be thrown into the Nile River to drown. A certain Israelite woman had a baby boy, and she wanted to save him, so she hid him for three months, and then it became too hard to to hide him, and so she, in desperation, put him in a basket and floated him out on the Nile. And he happened to float down to a a place where the king, Pharaoh's daughter, um, was bathing, and so she... um, she sees him. She sees this basket. There's a, a Hebrew baby in it, an Israelite baby. She picks him up and, and decides to raise him as her own. Um, and she names him Moses, which is Hebrew for draw out, because she drew him out of the water. And so Moses is the only baby in our, in our Miracle Child series who wasn't conceived miraculously, but he's a miracle child uh, because of this, because he, he survived this infanticide. That's the, uh, yeah. He survived this infanticide, uh, this fear-driven, government-sponsored extermination, okay? Moses grows up. I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff in his story, but when he's, when he's a grown-up, eventually Moses would become a deliverer for the Hebrew people, for the Israelite people. And so his mission was God sent him to Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let the people go free. And so, and so Moses led the people out of Egypt, he, Moses led the people out of Egypt and, and into the desert or the wilderness. And as they traveled in the wilderness, God led them with, with a light in the sky. He led them with a, a pillar of fire that would move and they would follow that pillar of, of fire. And that's how they, how they knew where to go. And God, uh, God led them in the wilderness for 40 years as they approached the promised land. Forty years in the wilderness with Moses at the helm. And then very famously, one of the things Moses is most fam- famous for is that he went up a mountain, Mount Sinai, and um, spoke with God, and God delivered to him all these commandments. He gave, God gave him the law on this mountain, uh, including the Ten Commandments. And so that's just, that's just a quick sketch of Moses' life and then, Austin, we can leave this up for some time now. Um, so, that's Moses. Now, back to our question. Why did Luke include what Luke included? And why did Matthew include what Matthew included? We're mainly going to focus on the Matthew part of that question. And our scripture reading was from Matthew. Um, so, when Matthew wrote his version of the Christmas story, why did he include what he included when Matthew wrote his gospel, which is clearly addressed to a Jewish audience, why did he include what he included? Why did Matthew include the terrible story of a fearful king, Herod, who was so desperate to cling to his power that he ordered the slaughter of a bunch of children? Why did he include Jesus narrowly escaping that? Why did Matthew include Jesus going to Egypt and then coming out of Egypt to safety? Why did Matthew include a reference to the Magi, to travelers being miraculously led by a light in the sky? 
And then if you can continue on past the Christmas story in Matthew, why does Matthew also include uh, a story early on where Jesus is led out into the wilderness for 40 days? And then after that, why does Matthew include Jesus' inaugural speech, the Sermon on the Mount, and have it be Jesus going up a mountain and bringing commandments to the people? Are we connecting the dots yet? When Matthew wrote his gospel, writing for an audience who were the descendants of Moses and the Israelites, why did Matthew include stories of Jesus surviving infanticide, coming out of Egypt, of a light in the sky, of 40 days in the wilderness, and of Jesus bringing law, commandments, on a mountain? In the words of the great Canadian artist, Avril Lavigne, can I make it any more obvious? So Matthew is presenting Jesus as Moses 2.0. That's the big idea here. Matthew chooses all of those particular elements to include because for Matthew, the best way to introduce Jesus to his Jewish readers is via Moses, okay? Matthew is, is picking up their national story and using it as language to explain who Jesus is. And so in a way, the Moses story is part of the Christmas story. By the way, uh, Matthew builds, to answer the Luke question, Matthew builds his Christmas story so that Jesus is replacing Moses. Luke builds his Christmas story so that Jesus is replacing Caesar. Pretty interesting, but that's a discussion for another day. So Matthew chooses these... uh, these particular elements because he wants to present Jesus as the new Moses, which means Matthew is using the Moses narrative to tell us something about Jesus. And what is he, what is he telling us? Two things. Okay, uh, he, so here's, here's the big idea which encompasses two ideas. Like Moses, Jesus brings freedom and family. Okay, there's more to this, but that's what we'll look at today. Jesus brings, like Moses, Jesus brings freedom and family. So let's talk about freedom. Through Moses, uh, God brought physical freedom, right? He, he brought them physical freedom from physical captivity. And so in Exodus 3, when God calls Moses to his mission, he says, uh, he says this. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And so that's kind of the call on Moses' life. It's this call to deliver Israel from physical slavery, to deliver them from 
whips and chains and bricks and mud to milk and honey and abundance and, and wide open spaces. That's the call on, on Moses' life. And then Matthew picks that up, and, and Matthew's saying, look, like Moses, Jesus is also a deliverer too. He, he brings us freedom too, but it's a different kind of freedom. And Matthew lets us know right out of the gate what kind of freedom it is. And so uh, Matthew and Luke both include mention of the naming of Jesus, but only Matthew includes this line in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, uh, the angel says to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus, which by the way means God saves. Name, Name him Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew is telling us, here's a man who, like Moses, will lead us into freedom, but it's not, a, it's not a physical freedom, it's a spiritual freedom. See, the Bible teaches that sin enslaves us. Sin makes us uh, captives. That sin is a cruel taskmaster. And, and I don't know what your experience is, but, but I think for many of us, our experience would, would bear that out. Ask anyone who's tried to, um, to quit an addiction. Ask anyone who's tried to break a cycle of, uh, of abuse or neglect within their family. Ask anyone who has wronged someone else and said, I'm sorry, and had the other person say, you're not forgiven. Sin, sin places this oppress, oppression on us. And what Matthew is saying is that Jesus, Jesus came to liberate us from that. And so today, all of us are, are here, and, and we're, we're in Canada. We're in a place where we're physically free. But the spiritual reality can still be that spiritually, we're in chains. And so what Matthew is saying is Jesus will save you from that. He'll lead you into freedom if you let him. And so maybe today is the day that... that you drop some chains. Maybe today is the day that you let Jesus free you from your sin. Maybe today is the day that you uh, decide that this Christmas and as we go into a new year, you're not, you're not carrying that oppressive sin forward with you. Name him Jesus. Name him God saves for he will save his people from their sins. So that's freedom. Like Moses, Jesus brings freedom. And then secondly, like Moses, Jesus brings family. If you, look at the, um, if you look at the Exodus story, you'll find that God frees the people. And he doesn't just free them and then say, you're free, see you later. He actually frees them and then, and then he leads them out into the desert and, and he has Moses bring them the law and the commandments. And all of that is, is because God wants to actually form this people into a family. He wants to form them into a family of his children. He wants to form them into the people of God. And so, um, for example, God says in Exodus 6, he says, uh, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. It's this, this idea that God is trying to build a people, build a family that, that will be his children. 
And so for centuries, the, the Israelites and then the Jews uh, lived with that awareness. We're the children of God. We're the family of God. And then Matthew does this crazy thing. We come to Matthew, and Matthew's, uh, Matthew sets up the parallel to Moses. Okay, he spends... Uh, seven chapters doing that, as we've seen, starting in the Christmas story and, and going through Jesus, spending 40 days in the desert and, uh, and the Sermon on the Mount. It's all, it's all to set up Jesus as this parallel to Moses. And for, and for um, Matthew's readers, the expectation that that would set up is, okay, Matthew is saying that Jesus is here for us. That Jesus is here for us because we're the family of God. Jesus is here to lead the family of God, the, uh, the insiders, the upright, religious, orthodox Jews. Jesus is here to lead us forward and to serve us and to minister to us and to save us and to bring freedom for us. And then Matthew pulls the rug out from under them. Because what happens is he, he, so seven chapters of Jesus is like Moses. Jesus is like Moses. And then in chapter eight of Matthew, he has Jesus start going out and ministering to people and serving people. Um, and, and the first, out of the first five people that Jesus serves, that Jesus, he's doing miracles, sorry. He goes out and he's healing people. He's doing miracles. And out of the first five people that Jesus serves with miracles, four of them are not part of the family. Four of them are not part of the people of God because they're either Gentiles, non-Jews, and or they're uh, ritually unclean. And so Jesus goes out and he, and he heals lepers who are ritually unclean. They're outcasts. Jesus heals them. Not only does he heal them, he heals them by touching their diseased skin. Jesus then uh, does a miracle for a Roman centurion who is, who, who is a soldier of the nation who's oppressing God's people. Then he heals um, Peter's mother-in-law, who she's, she's a Jew. Um, then he sails across the sea, uh, the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gadarenes, which is the most uh, pagan area in, in their region. And he heals there two men who are, are possessed by demons. And so it's like Matthew has, has set up this idea that Jesus is going to come and he's going to serve the people of God, the family of God. And then Jesus goes out to everyone but the people who thought they were the family of God. So the expectation would have been, great, Jesus has come to lead the Jews forward, the insiders, the upright, the godly, the religious. And then Matthew pulls the rug out from under his readers and says, actually, no, Jesus' mission is to care for all peoples and to invite all peoples to be part of the new family that God is forming. And that, and that goes beyond one ethnic group. That goes beyond the people who act like you and believe like you. In fact, that goes beyond... It, it, it reaches to all the people that Matthew's readers were taught to mistrust 
and avoid. So we can't, so we can't go through all of Matthew, obviously. Um, skip to the very end of Matthew. Jesus gives this mission to his disciples, this commission to his disciples. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the upright Orthodox Jews. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, of all, of all people groups. And so what Jesus, the new Moses, is doing is bigger than one tribe. He's inviting all of us to be the people of God, to be the family of God. And so this, and so this is a heart check for those of us who, who have a background of faith. Who are the outsiders? Who are the people that we have been taught to mistrust and avoid? Who this Christmas maybe need to be invited in? And then it's also a clear message to, to those who maybe would consider themselves not part of, not part of a faith tradition who maybe feel unworthy, who feel like everyone's given up on them, including God, who perhaps feel mistrusted or disdained. The message of Christmas and of Jesus, the new Moses, is this. There's room for you in the family of God. There's room for you at the table. Jesus has not given up on you. He's come to make a way for you to come in. Amen. I want to invite the choir up as we close in song. As the choir comes up, I'll just let me just say that the choir will sing a response to that, and that is a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, be born in me, that I may be reborn in thee. I'll make a place for you to dwell. Come into my heart, Emmanuel. And we heard about Jesus having come to make, bring freedom, that freedom comes from within. He's not talking about military freedom. And for that freedom, he needs to have space, room in our heart. And that is our prayer. After that, we'll sing together yet. But first, the choir.